0: Good afternoon, this is Gary Kafna here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer. Today is Friday the 14th of whatever month we're in uh, anymore. They're all, they're all the same. Also, I'm on holiday. I don't need to care. Michael, how are you?
1: I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't know what, what month is it. It's not
0: like it matters anyway.
1: No, nothing matters.
0: Good point, Michael. So let's go into, actually, if nothing matters, then... I was going to say, let's go on to matters that actually matter, but if nothing matters, that does limit the scope of this show. There's a song about that. So let's update uh, with a small thing first. I don't think we've gripped as published on it yet because we're still going through the figures. But we were talking before about how the HSE had paid somewhere in the region of 6 million to media organisations, but that we suspected that was not the extent of it, that it, it wasn't a high enough number. So Carol Nolan has received... Some more responses from PQs that she put in, asking the various departments to talk about the amount that they had spent on COVID-19 related advertisements. We're just going through the figures now to try and pin everything down and try and get it exact because you have some stuff mixed in there that wasn't payments to you know radio, television and uh, newspapers. But it looks like we're looking at a figure so far, and I'm sure more will come in, uh, of about 12 million since March of last year mm-hmm. to these groups. Now, we know when we are done with the last figures, we were saying that they're still running COVID-19 awareness uh, advertisement, which doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense uh, in 2021. And that if there was part of this that was kind of, shall we say, a subsidy effectively to the media industry, it would likely going to fall into that part. Because you can fit pretty much anything in there. So we, we will go through the new figures we have. We haven't gone through it yet. as Again, I am on holiday. And uh, But we will, we will go through that. We will pull it out exactly. We'll figure out exactly where it, um, where it rests. And we'll break it down. And then we will just keep trying to get more and more information on this until we get everything. Like, there was some weird stuff in the responses that Carol Nolan got that I, I'm not sure if I think are totally accurate, Michael. Like, the Department of Foreign Affairs said it had spent nothing. On COVID-19 advertisements. I I just, I feel I have heard or seen Department of Foreign Affairs advertisements about some of the travel restrictions.
1: I know, Say if if you're doing a list of countries and so on, no, that would be Department of Foreign Affairs. Lists of, anything listing external countries that were problematic. I'm sure that would be Foreign Affairs. must have done something, surely. And if they didn't, why not? Why were not they spending money? Do they not care? They couldn't be bothered?
0: Questions must be asked. They won't get any answers, but they should be asked. This is as close as they will be to getting asked. So we will, we will see what will go on with that. And then, you know, Michael, the country can have a, a frank discussion about the nature of state funding to media sources <laughs> and whether or not that could undermine the objectivity of the media. And I'm sure after it, Michael, we'll come to a better place as a country.
1: You're not a smart arse, aren't you?
0: <laughs> that didn't need to be sarcasm, Michael. I could live eternally in hope. Yeah, yeah that's, that's you.
1: Everybody's ever met you, oh, you've got the big old hopeful head on him. There's that wonderful naivety of Gary, isn't it? You know, he always thinks the best of everybody. That's what they all say.
0: I mean, in my defence, I may not think the best of any people, but I generally don't think the worst of people. That is actually true, listener. I am incredibly fair to people.
1: He likes to catch them with the knife in their
0: hand. So that's just a small little update just to, to start us off with um, for what will be a very short show because, as I said, it is holiday time. I was thinking recently about things you can't be in Ireland. You obviously can't be right-wing because that I mean, that's totally outside the Overton window. That's a disgraceful person. Oh, I thought you were going to say happy. Well, you also can't be happy because then you're a disgraceful person worthy of contempt. Absolutely. Right wing, absolutely. Wealthy is also kind of on dodgy ground. Sometimes we allow it, but sometimes we're just not happy about it. The other one, you can't be posh. Being posh is, is terrible. Because I saw uh, a Fine councillor called James Gagan. Now, James Gagan is standing in the Dublin Bay South by-election. And he, he came out and he was reported in the newspapers as saying that uh, he's not a posh barrister.
1: Oh, no, Gary, Gary... Hold on, he was accused of far worse than just being posh and a barrister. I have seen accusations against him that he was a Catholic. Now, I don't know. I mean, you don't want to get into a defamation case this early in your career. But if you let people go around saying stuff like that about you, and you don't take constant detail, you don't take action against them, I think. But yeah, he has been accused of being posh and a barrister. And conservative, socially conservative, and a Catholic. Now, apparently, he's a very decent guy, and he's at least not two of these things. He's
0: not. Ireland socially just doesn't like the idea of of posh people. You can just—it's never an appropriate level to, or good label to have attached to you.
1: But why? I, see, I don't. I don't get po- why. I. I. You look at England, and we have a certain idea of what posh is, you know? Port out, starboard home. It's Nancy Mitford. It's you. It's not you. It's, you put your, you know, it's, um, okay, for example, Nancy Mitford wrote this book, Knew not New York, How to Distinguish Between the Right Kind of People and the Wrong Kind of People. The right kind of people always use the plural when they refer to their doctor. Or their lo- my doctors will talk. I see my doctors. I talk to my lawyers. Basic things like they never put the milk in first in tea to put your milk in second. It's a social faux pas to put your milk But in Ireland, to be fair, Gary, I was looking at this gentleman's, um, his breeding, his stock book, shall we say, and his mother and father were both Supreme Court judges. His, on his father's side, his paternal grandfather was the Attorney General and the minister for justice. On his maternal grandfather's side, he was a Supreme Court justice. And I think maybe his, was his brother or his, was also a Supreme Court justice, and also uh, also a TD. Gary, in a country which has neither an aristocracy nor a monarchy, having three Supreme Court justices and two presidents of the Supreme Court, an Attorney General and a Minister for Justice in the first two lines of your your breeding, I think that makes you as posh as it's possible to be.
0: Also, a good bit of pressure on James.
1: I mean, I'm, you know, I mean, unless posh means something else, I don't know, what does posh mean in Ireland? Is Rosso Carl Kelly, is that posh?
0: I don't know. It, it also strikes me as particularly odd, considering that James is standing in Dublin Bay South, which is not a constituency... Known for its dislike of posh barristers.
1: Um, Ivana Batich standing, uh, she's a barrister.
0: Yeah, you have Jim there as well.
1: He's a barrister. He's a barrister. Um, Lucinda Crichton was there before, wasn't she?
0: She was, before Finnegale put considerable effort into replacing her with Kate O'Connell. With a pharmacist, not a barrister. I mean, that was a fall in standards. Wait, it was. <laughs> no, stop. Tempting me.
1: Tempting me, you are. Lucinda was a lawyer. Hazel Chew, I believe, graduated
0: from King's Inn, yeah. Yeah, they like their, their posh barristers. It's something that you always have to deny, but I don't know why. Like, as you said, James has impeccable breeding. Many, many Supreme Court judges in his family. In most countries, yeah, they would just be considered sort of upper class or posh.
1: Also, you know, to be honest, kind of proud... I'd be frankly proud of my family. It's a
0: family that, if you're interested in legal achievements, has clearly achieved quite a lot. That does seem to be something to be proud of. But in Ireland, we only use posh as, as, a, as a slur. Is it is it this? The only people that
1: are actually legitimately allowed to be posh are actually the remnants of the aristocracy. So, for example, Lord Henry Mount Charles is posh. He's allowed to be posh. Or the... the uh, the Earl of Meath, or what's his name, L- Leslie, or um, the Earl of Thomond. Some these people, Lord Killallen in the, uh, the the old Olympian guy, is that it that they're allowed to be posh because they um they all went to either they all went to England to school, and they, so they have sort of eaten and Eton and Harrow accents. I am told by somebody who's in the business of language there is actually. An accent I don't know if still true, but there certainly were accents you could associate with specific schools here. Newtown, the Quaker School in Waterford, apparently had an accent. Clongos, I am assured, has an accent and I think it's an accent for well buttered with money, I imagine, but
0: It's kind of like the term neoliberal. It doesn't really have a definition. It's just people you dislike in certain ways. Bad thing to be anyway. The other thing that they're attacking him on, and at least this is a bit more substantial, is they're uh, saying that he was one of the um, the founding members of Renua. Now, I I met James during my time in Renewa. Never had much, uh, never had much interaction with him. Don't really know the man. But I always got the sense that James was in Renua, not for any particular political reason, but because he followed Lucinda into Renua. I think when Renewal started, James was working as Lucinda's PA, and because he had a legal background I think he helped with some of the documents, so his name got basically put into some of the records. But that was my understanding of, of the connection there. I never got the, the sense with James that there was any like extreme political view there of any kind. And that would you know
1: to be fair, I mean that's not a criticism either. He may have had a lot of time personally for Lucinda, a lot of people did. And as long as what she was doing wasn't sort of grossly antithetical to his own personal beliefs, I could say, why not uh, go with her? She was trying to do something new and different, and she was a person of principle and a talent. You know, I think it's a perfectly reasonable thing to do.
0: Lucinda was a, was a politician of immense talent and integrity. And I mean, at the time, I mean, this was someone who's being talked about as a potential leader of Fine Gael think James would have probably started working for her then, and then you just follow her because you're working for her. Now, I could be wrong on that. It's been years, and as I said, I never really had much interaction with James, but that was my understanding of what happened. But uh, I have quite enjoyed seeing Kate O'Connell's family and supporters try and make that a point.
1: Yes, although apparently he voted uh, for yes to the last two big referenda, so he has actually got impeccable progressive liberal credentials.
0: James is, is is a political animal from what appears to be a family of political animals. I don't think James has ever voted for the wrong thing, which is no slur against him. Like, his reputation is a man who is actually quite good at doing things, and frankly, we need more politicians like that.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, the sad thing is they tend to get into politics and they get ruined. But it's going to be a, f- a fun and interesting uh, by-election down there, isn't it? He, no, oh, actually, there was one thing we didn't mention that he was, Gary. Male and stale as a n- negative epithet.
0: I don't think we can hold that against him.
1: Well, it, you, th- I wouldn't hold being a Conservative against him, were he Conservative. I wouldn't hold being a Catholic against him, uh, were he a Catholic. But then again, Gary, I am a king amongst men. That's the kind of person I am. Other people would.
0: The reason that the story about Gagin saying he's not a posh barrister is in the paper is because a leaflet was put around Dublin Bay South about him, uh, making, shall we say, certain insinuations about James. Now, I would imagine it made those, I haven't seen the leaflet, but I would imagine it made them very, very carefully in order to avoid, shall we say, any sort of defamation action. But it, here's a quote that The Independent has from it. Other parties are selecting formidable liberal women. So why are we acting like an old boys club, which is male and stale? Now, Michael, I would be very curious to see where these leaflets came from and if they followed the requirements to state who paid for them on it or not. Uh, I would also... That's an interesting talking point, seeing that um, Kate O'Connell was turned down for the opportunity to run in this by-election as Fine Gael's candidate. In a travesty. It's a way of talking that I think I recognise. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it has certain... You can recognise the music, can't you?
0: Yeah. They may not have been the people who wrote it, but there is a... Uh, it would be where I would start asking if I had any questions about it.
1: You recognise
0: the tune. Did you hear Stephen Donnelly on Pat Kenny recently talking about antigen testing?
1: I nearly heard Simon Harris, actually, but there you go. Uh, I did, and it was... You know what they, they call embarrassment comedy? Where you you, 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 you you keep watching it, it's like a car crash, but you can't watch it, you can't turn away, but you desperately want to. It was a little bit like that. He starts off and he's already, you know, he's already not. He's cool, he's cool. He's got it together. He's the minister. He knows. He's Stephen Donnelly. Let's face it, Stephen does not have an, insubst- an insubstantial opinion of his own abilities. So he was fine. But Pat Kenny was sneaky, Gary. Do you not think that Pat Kenny was sneaky? Sitting there and listening to him like that and then asking him questions. You know, I think that people need to understand that that kind of thing is, that can undermine the confidence that people have in a government. It, is that really what you want to go on in the middle of a global pandemic? Is it, Gary?
0: You know, I can't remember the last time that Pat Kenny called something from the government propaganda to that minister's <laughs> face. <laughs>
1: yeah, that that was... That was a little bit of a twist. I don't know, maybe explain for the sake of the viewers briefly what the, what went down.
0: Yeah, so I'll include a link to a video that the News Talk put up of part of the interview where he, Stephen Donnelly is trying to talk about rapid testing. And what he says was, well, if you get a positive result, you should get a PCR test. And if you get a negative result, uh, you should totally ignore that, Be and it's it's pretty meaningless. And then he went on to say that some of these tests can be as, you know, it can be as low as 2 uh, or 3% accurate. And then you start talking about a Cochrane review, which for, for listeners of, long-time listeners of the show, we'll know is a very highly respected um, meta-analysis, effectively, of the available research. And he said that that has shown that you know only one test meets the criteria to, be, um, to actually be considered to be an effective diagnostic tool.
1: Which, Gary, was a, a little bit puzzling because, actually, we had looked at the Cochrane.
0: Cochrane has done a, a couple of things on this. Now, it's possible that we've missed the most recent one or that Stephen Donnelly has, is talking about one particular thing they've done. But those were not figures that I am familiar with. And, actually, when he was talking about it, and he was talking about an accuracy of 3%, I sort of went, that doesn't sound right. And even where he corrects, Michael, and it's the case that it's based on the tests... Surely the answer there then is to only accredit certain tests, Michael, that meet, let's say, minimum standards. Much as you might be surprised to hear, Michael, the European Union has done,
1: as is adverted to in by Cochrane and the use of because I remember we actually had the conversation. I asked you because I, I think there's a, I like you certainly greater likelihood that you than I will know this that they had they were working on a greater than ninety two percent sensitivity in a 97% effectiveness, and I didn't, I think that was the language, and I didn't understand, but it was definitely 90%, on uh, greater than 92%, greater than 97%, and I think that they were listed as, the EU had listed 16 antigen tests that fell within that, fell within those parameters. And he said, "And because we said you have to make sure that it lists the CE mark on it, the Comunita Europea." Also, I don't know. Have you seen these little tests? I'm speaking out of ignorance here, but I would be amazed if Little hadn't gone and got one of the one of the it's, 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 it's the European recommended ones. I mean, this is a German company. I imagine some of these tests would be, in fact, I know some of the better tests would be made in Germany. I would have thought they would have been reasonably careful about that. But anyway.
0: So we have a product here which is signed off by the, um, by the EU as meeting the criteria uh, laid out by it. And yet he's going around saying things about 3%. Now, Kenny then, and then he, he starts saying that he's not disparaging the tests and they have a use. And Kenny just goes through them. How can you stand there and say that they have 3% success rate and then say that they're useful? You're saying that they're nonsense, which is a bit of a problem considering that the government's chief scientific officer, Michael, is in favour of the testing and the government has been talking about rolling it out in certain circumstances. So if it is only 3% effective, why would they do that?
1: There seems to be a bit of a disagreement within the high panjandrums of science and medicine. We get the impression that nefit is less enthusiastic than the chief uh, scientific officer, the government chief science officer. It was quite the comedy, though, Gary, was. The reaction of Donnelly to to the attack, the cougar-like attack from Kenny, because he's there, He sort of... There's really a bit of, surpri- there's a bit of surprise, not just the fact of the attack, but, like, the, the breadth and the depth and the vigour of the attack. And he goes into this, well, you know, I, I'm not a scientist. Uh, I don't know about these things. I'm a
0: The line he says that pushes Kenny over the edge is: "The best tests used in the best ways are only about fifty percent accurate." Which, to be just to put that in in its place in the scientific literature, is total horseshit. He's just wrong, and Kenny just kind of like chuckles and like, "Oh," he says, "Oh, Stephen, this is bad. That's not fact. That's just propaganda." And Donnelly just sits there kind of staring at him with this kind of stunned blank expression and sort of, oh, bollocks.
1: Kenny, do you think, is it possible, uh, I'm asking seriously, do you think it's possible that Donnelly was unaware of the spat between the two professors, Professor Nolan and Professor Mina? I mean, if he's going on to Kenny to be asked about this, surely he was on Kenny as a result of that.
0: Yeah. So for, for those who didn't listen to the last show, uh, Philip Nolan came out saying antigen testing is snake oil. And a Harvard academic um, called Michael Mina told him that he should be ashamed of his stance and that it didn't look like he knew what he was talking about. And that's kind of led to a bit of a renewed talk about antigen testing. My understanding is that Neffish is a bit all over the place on it. But Michael, when he's coming out and saying things like the best tests in the best ways are 50% accurate... As I said, the government's chief scientific officer is in favour of these tests, and those are not the stats. Those aren't anywhere near the stats. There is a wide range of uh, efficiency based on the test chosen.
1: Exactly, but that's why I asked the question because Mina's Mina's point was that actually the best tests, when it comes to the question, and this is that I mean, there, there, there are always nuances in these things. The, they, the question that this test answers is: Am I infectious? Not, do I have COVID, but am I infectious? And the best tests are very sensitive and very accurate about that question. Way, 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 way more than 50%. And if anybody had been paying attention to the fact of the Nolan, nolan that kind of data would have been fairly up the, fairly quickly one of the ones that would have surfaced if you were to, if you were to look at it. I, 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 I'm kind of baffled. Who prepped them? Who came... There's no way, Gary, there is no way the Minister for Health went on the radio to Pat Kenny and had not been given a full preparation briefing by his civil servants. I imagine he has more than one or two special and
0: I do not see, like he, he would have been certainly briefed on this, he would have had to be. But I don't see anyone going, all right Stephen, part of our policy is to use these in certain cases and the chief scientific officer is in favour of them. So what you're going to do is you're going to come out and say there's absolutely a use for them, and then say that they're uh, they're down to about 3% accuracy, and at best, it's a coin flip.
1: That's my my point, is precisely, he actually uses his numbers. 3%, 50%. He presumably didn't pull them out of his arse. He must have got the numbers from somewhere, and it seems to me unlikely that he would have either got them himself or trusted them if he got himself. He must have been given them. Who's given them? Why were... I- I would be very curious to know what the briefing was because something went wrong. Somewhere in the process leading from him leaving his house in the morning to arriving in that studio, something went wrong, Gary. But, Gary, something didn't go right. I mean, let's face it, we know that. We
0: can be confident. It's just, it's deeply embarrassing because to, to say something which seems to directly contradict the government's own stated policy makes nonsense of it because you then not turn around and say, no, no, we, we think they have a place. How can they have a place? It makes zero sense. As So you're saying you're, your own chief scientific officer is wrong. And then you just start throwing out these figures, which are, in light of what you're talking about, total nonsense. And also there's European government, um, European commission protocols in place in relation to this. And the manufacturer of these and, and the standards they have to, uh, they have to abide by. And are you saying that that's also wrong that the eu is signing off on tests that are no better than a coin flip like, That's actually quite wide-ranging implications if donnelly is right here but i suspect michael having looked at the figures that donnelly is quoting donnelly got a little bit flustered and just started didn't ex- legitimately did not expect to be pushed back on this and then when he was pushed back he just fell to pieces these are people who've had an incredibly easy ride michael for over a year why would they think well, this is going to be the issue that actually does damage. That this are, is what people are going to ask about.
1: There's easy rides and there's easy rides. I mean, this is this was not hard. This really was not hard. I mean, what's Donnelly's? What is his background? Is he some kind of what consultant engineer or something?
0: Oh, he was a he was a management consultant. I think
1: he must be base have some kind of basic numeracy. Anyway, we're not. To, I mean, he wasn't being asked to recite pi. the to the second thousand number you know he was being asked for five or six numbers at most but is there a point three percent and fifty percent of his arse you really i mean no and it only really becomes an attack after he has made the mistake and after i mean fairly savage mistake and even then He had opportunities to get out, but, you know, it was... You're talking about embarrassing. You know they sent on the clip of the show to the Professor Mina in Harvard afterwards?
0: Yes, I did. It's the first time I've ever seen a Harvard professor look at a minister's performance and simply say, I feel sorry for Ireland.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Of course, we now have people on Twitter who are speaking in that way that people do on Twitter about Professor Mina. He's saying, oh, yeah, well, actually, if you knew about Mina, you wouldn't be a bit surprised by this kind of attitude, blah, blah, blah. I love this. You know that, that tone, I know stuff you don't know. I'm not going to go into that now. But I have a, you know, a deep and wide experience in fill in here the blank of whatever you happen to be talking about. And I can tell you, well, I could tell you. I'm not going to tell you because I couldn't be bothered. But I know stuff, and that's just typical of him. In some kind of vague way to suggest that actually he's talking out of his arse and he shouldn't take it seriously. And he think, yeah, yeah, there's nothing predictable about that. Is there at all? Suddenly six or seven people don't seem to have an awful lot of followers or following follow an awful lot of people. Yeah, yeah, that Mina, yeah, yeah, He's, you shouldn't be taking him seriously at all. It's just one of those funny things, like mushrooms after a shower of rain on a warm night. Up they pop, those Twitter
0: accounts. Uh, Professor Mina has offered to go on the Pack Any show and explain how antigen tests actually work, uh, which is odd because I've seen Professor Ferguson, the Ireland's chief scientific officer, explain how antigen tests works and explain it clearly and in a way that shows he understands it. So Mm -hmm. I don't understand how the chief medical officer can have a position on something, on antigen testing, that is negative, and the chief scientific officer can have a position on it that is positive, and the minister seems to only be aware of the negative. The Irish government is aware of every limitation of antigen testing, but seem to be aware of none of the positives and none of the actual figures about efficiency of certain tests. Also, this thing about certain tests have shown results you know, as low as 2 or 3% in some of their pilots. And you're like, well, pilot studies are partially designed to find that out and to improve products, so I, th- I don't think that's the point. But also, it kind of ignores, you, you're you like, oh, well, some tests, are, well, are any of those tests signed off on for use in the EU? Hmm. Would be the first question, because I would expect the answer, Michael, would be no. 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 In which case, why are we even talking about it? What does it matter if there's a test in Timbuktu that's 2% accurate if the average test in Ireland is 80 or 90% accurate? What does that matter?
1: It doesn't matter a whole lot. I mean, I I would confess, Gary, to a, a small degree of curiosity of how you would get... How do you construct a test that's so bad that it performs significantly less well than just random choice?
0: When I was doing something on this, uh, writing a piece for GRIPT on this, I went back and I looked at everything that was said about masks by NETFIT and, and the government, and the line on antigen testing is exactly the same as the line on masks. Nearly, like the terminology is nearly word for word the same as well, and I think they're just terrified of giving people options.
1: I it's more possibly, seriously... I don't know. In this case, it seems to be unlikely, but I, I wonder: is it? Sim- is is there something going on here which is this has been indicative of? Which is you have the chief scientific officer doing his thing, and he's been doing his thing since the beginning of the pandemic on various things like apparatuses and masks and PPEs and whatever. And then you have effort, and then you have the internal effort, and shall we say the external effort, the uh, independent advisory group. Maybe, maybe he just, they, they just pay a hell of a lot more attention to the medical people than they do to anybody else. Maybe that's what they listen to and they forget almost that there are other people that they can actually talk to and consult on this kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, it is that time. Uh, today being Friday, it'll be probably at least Sunday before we're back, Gary. Most likely. So... Uh, By which time I will be able to report on the strawberry season, is it delayed this year, as many people fear? I know a lot of people are asking that question. I will be able to clear that up on Sunday.
0: I may may actually ask that. I made strawberry crisps the other day. They're very easy to make if the listener is interested. You slice strawberries very thinly and then put them onto a tray in an oven that you slow cook and you... uh, Before you put them in, you um, brush them with a combination of sugar and uh, egg white. And you get this very crisp, very sugary kind of uh, nice little dessert kind of thing. You have to do them very thin and you have to get them to crisp properly or they're not great. But they are, uh, I I thoroughly recommend them. I've been working on my French cooking on my uh, holiday, Michael. Getting uh, Getting really into French pastry.
1: There you go, it's always it's always good to learn a new skill.
0: No, actually I'm 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 pretty competent at cooking and pastry making already. There you go. It'll be shoe next.
1: Anyway, we'll see you all on Sunday. All the best.